Hey, it's Dr. Marissa Lee Naismith here, and I'm so honored to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. Listen, and you will be inspired by amazing healthcare practitioners, voice teachers, and music industry professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to help you live your best life every day. As singers, our whole body is our instrument, and our instrument echoes how we feel physically, mentally, and emotionally. So don't wait any longer. Take charge and optimize your instrument now. Remember that to sing is more than just learning about how to use the voice. It's about a voice and beyond. So without further ado, let's go to today's episode. In this episode, Dr. Elizabeth Blades takes us on an incredible journey as she opens up and gives us an honest account of some highly personal challenges she has been confronted with. Elizabeth shares her regime of self-care and how this program of self-care was crucial to her healing journey in the midst of her inner turmoil. Elizabeth so generously shares her story, perspectives and life philosophies and how this has kept her steadfast throughout her life. Her attitude of this too shall pass is extremely profound and is one that can help us all in the chaos and the anxiety of today's society. Dr. Elizabeth Blades is currently a visiting instructor of music for the Performing Arts Division, School of Art and Design at Alfred University, where she is teaching classes in voice and piano. In addition, Elizabeth serves on the faculty of Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia. She is the author of A Spectrum of Voices, Prominent American Voice Teachers Discuss the Teaching of Singing, and co-authored with Samuel Nelson, Singing with Your Whole Self, The Singer's Guide to Feldenkrais Awareness Through Movement. She also presents national and international workshops connected with her research in Moshe Feldenkrais and the Feldenkrais Method in Vocal Training. In October 2020, Elizabeth delivered the keynote address for the National Conference of the Australian National Association of Teachers of Singing. She is the founder and director of Vocal Health Works, dedicated to advancing healthy vocal technique, rehabilitating injured or endangered voices. She also founded and was producer and artistic director of the Allens Park Performing Arts Company based in Allens Park, Colorado, which launched its maiden season in 2011. I'm sure you're going to love this episode and I can't wait to introduce you to my dear friend, Dr. Elizabeth Blades. Today we have Elizabeth Blades as our guest on A Voice and Beyond and it's such a pleasure to have you here. I have been a big fan for many, many years. My yes. uh, my relationship <laughs> um, started with Oh, back probably in about 2006 when I stumbled upon this book in the library at Queensland Conservatorium while I was undertaking a postgraduate study. And I loved the book. I was always gravitating to this book. I just 
really enjoyed the way it was written that I felt that I was in the studio sitting alongside some of the greatest teachers, uh, some of the, you know, most amazing uh, voice pedagogues. And I kept going back to this book throughout my whole university journey. And uh, I had the joy and the delight of meeting Betsy in 2018 at uh, Shenandoah University. And I felt like a fan who just met their most favourite rock star. I was in awe. And we've had a little bit of a friendship and and we've reconnected a number of times now. So this interview for me is special and not only as a professional but personally as well. So thank you so much for, for being on the show, Betsy. My pleasure and thank you for asking me. Yeah, and I'd like to share with our audience that uh, Betsy is not feeling quite herself today. You had your first COVID shot. Mm-hmm. Yesterday morning. And, you, and I was so delighted to have that until this morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so what happened to you this morning when you woke up? I, I was fine when I woke up. A little sore. You know, the arm where you get the shot is um, people routinely will say, oh, yeah, it was a sore arm, but nothing. And having had COVID, I was curious as to see if I had any reaction or it just sail on through it. And my, my morning was busy. I got a lot done. And then right about 1130, maybe 11 o'clock this morning, I just felt like this wave of exhaustion came over me. And, oh, man, I got to go up and take a nap. And then it sort of dawned on me, oh, my God, this is COVID. This is the same symptoms, the same experience I had with COVID in November. Mostly fatigue, just debilitating fatigue, absolute exhaustion. You had to just, I had to push through because I was teaching full time and I was two weeks before the end of the semester. So I just kind of pushed through it, but then foggy brain and a slight dull headache. And this is what I experienced just about five hours ago. So I texted my, my afternoon lessons and said, this is what's going on. Can we reschedule or um, let me take a nap and see if I feel better? So I took a nice two-hour nap, which is very similar to what I would do <laughs> with COVID. And when I woke up and had a cup of tea, it was like, oh, okay. It's, uh, it was just a temporary thing. But I, am, I feel as though my stamina, that's the other part of COVID, is the stamina just doesn't hang in there. I'm alert. I'm feeling fine. In fact, now seeing Marissa on the other side with the screen makes me feel a whole lot better than I did when I first tuned in. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. I'm glad I'm, I, I can make you feel better. I'd like to say that I make a lot of people feel better, but sometimes I don't. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the reasons why you're here today is that because we are going to talk about self-care. Along my journey at uh, Queensland Conservatorium, I was given the opportunity to study Feldenkrais. And the other, I came across this book, and you had also written about Feldenkrais. And when we came to know one another a little more, we found that we had lots of things in common. And one of the things that we started to talk about was self-care. 
Mm-hmm. So, and this episode is going to be talking a little bit about self-care and what that looks like in and how you came to discover self-care and what, what that means for you. So would you like mm-hmm. to share your self-care journey and when did you start to think, okay, I, I need to look after myself a little better? I've always been an athlete, but I've always eaten well, high nutrition, came from a very active family. Athletics, music, and education were the three parts that were very much emphasized in my life. And I just, you know, barreled into everything I did, 30, 40 years of just being um, high energy and getting things done and making my to-do list and just be very active, active, active. And I started, I guess, I guess I'm going to have to say, I don't think Marissa knows this, but tragically, my dad drowned no. at the age of 80. He was at his beautiful hunting camp, which he adored up in the mount, the hills of Western New York state. And it was the first day of deer hunting day after Thanksgiving. And um, he never came home. And my mom didn't think much about it because he often would stay over. Those were the days before cell towers, before cell phones. When he went to camp, he was off the grid, but he often would stay Friday night, Saturday night, come home Sunday. He never came home Sunday. So she sent my brother to find him and he was floating in the pond. We still don't know how he got there. It was very cold. He used to go out and check the temperature of the pond. He was an engineer and he kept meticulous records and he probably was going to close the camp down that day. He may have slipped, hit his head, fell in the water and that was the end of it. And it was, of course, the whole family was just devastated. And at that point, I started, I started having dreams like a, a month after he died, where he would not, I wouldn't see him in the dream, but I very vividly, I'd be talking to my mother in their bedroom here in the house that I now live back in. And that's another story. And the phone would ring and I would pick it up and it was dad and he would talk to me. And it was amazing because you could hear his voice. And he said, Bets, Bets, I just want to let you know. The uh, this is amazing over here. The only two things you take with you are knowledge and love. Wow! And how then profound. I yes, and those dreams continued. I was, I mean, it gave and me how, great. How long ago solace. was this? Nineteen ninety, no, November of nineteen ninety. And the rest of the family, I shared it with them, but I don't think they quite. You know, it's like okay, there she is. She's kind of the weirdo one of the family. Yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I felt compelled to start really taking a spiritual journey of health healing. I took a a workshop for, it was a week-long workshop in healing modalities. And that I was told that I had a a lot of energy for healing. And so that really set me on a whole different course in my life, in my profession, with my family, my children. And so that just has uh, been the underpinning of my life ever since that tragedy. And for a lot of people, they would think that was a little left of centre and a lot of people sure. would not be open to that kind of thinking. Did you, right. find, did you find that with your family to start with? Well, at first, yes, but they have since come to really respect me because I have moved ahead and trained myself in Reiki, which is healing energy. I've taken courses in meditation, which I now teach body, mind, spirit kinds of modalities, really immersed myself into it. And I'm the youngest in the family. 
And it's really interesting. My sister's five years older. My brother's three and a half years older. They're starting to listen to me now. It was always, oh, Betsy, you know, little kid. And now I'm the one that's telling them, this too shall pass. Or I'll be saying, you can't force things. If it's meant to be, it will happen. And I'm always right. (laughs) Yeah. And some people can't hear that because everyone feels that they, they need to be in control of everything that's going on around yes. them. And, yes. And to just allow things to happen is yes. not what we're basically programmed to do. We want to take charge and we're told we need to take charge. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, it's the egoic mind as opposed to the sup- the subconscious mind, which is much smarter, much more intuitive, of course. A couple of statistics, and this has been researched the egoic mind, which Maribeth Dame, who is the core singing guru, she would say, and it's been proven that peanut brain, because it's about the size of the peanut, is a control freak. And that's what always wants to take charge. And that part of your brain is actually much, much less, it's slow, comparatively speaking. So it takes about 40 bits of information one second for that brain to work. Whereas the superconscious, the subconscious, the what we would call the intuitive brain, 11,000 bits per second. But the egoic mind will get in the way. It will step in and just say, out of the way, you are not going to be making this decision because you're just, you know, the frou-frou thing. So I have learned to really understand when my left brain, I know that brains research, there's now saying there's no such thing as left brain, right brain, but I still use that terminology because it yes. makes sense to me. The part that is the analytical brain, the, the part that wants to assess and judge is the part that really needs to be pushed out of the way and allow that intuitive subconscious brain to run the program. And it's very hard for that to be done. And that's in singing. People are constantly judging, 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 judging as they're mm. singing. Yes. And they get in their own way. Yes. You know, they're constantly so like, true. how am I sounding? How am I sounding? You know, how am I sounding? And it's like, yes. just stop thinking about how will you sound and pay attention to where's my breath? How is my alignment? You know, the, the things that your left brain can be in charge of rather than getting in the way of the computer that actually should be. Yeah. Running the program. Yes. And and it's really interesting because with Feldenkrais, that was one of the things that I learned was to get out of your own way and that there are many ways of doing the one thing and it's finding the way that is the most comfortable for you. Right. Interestingly, the universe works in mysterious ways. Just about that same time, I would say 1990 in that you know, that time frame of my mm. father's passing, that's when Sam Nelson and I were first working together. Sam is the Feldenkrais practitioner who is the co-author on the book. And so we were just working together as kind of a bartering system. He wanted to learn to sing and I really wanted to learn more about what he was doing with Feldenkrais. Yeah. And after about a week, I said, Sam, we have a paper. And then after another week, I said, Sam, we have a book. <laughs> so that happened at the same time. Also, at the same time, I started studying with Carol Weber at Eastman. She came to Eastman in 1992, and I had heard her at Oberlin in the summer of 91. Richard Miller's 
a vocal pedagogy workshop. It's a week-long workshop in the summer. And she was part of his daily program. He would do the mornings and then she would do master class in the afternoon. I was so blown away by her. The intuition, her, her language, and she just was an amazing, amazing teacher. So when Eastman hired her to replace Jan de Gaetani, who had passed away, unfortunately, from leukemia, they were very much of the same ilk and they were friends. So Carol came to Eastman and my teacher at the time was Marsha Baldwin, all of whom are in that book. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> and, and I had been studying with Marsha for about five years. I did my master's with her and then started my doctorate with her. And it was the summertime. So it was just, I was just having lessons to keep things going. It wasn't with tuition based or a class or anything. And in the middle of a lesson, she stops and she looks at me and she says, you know, Betsy, the door is open. And I turn around and I say, what are you talking about, Marsha? The door is closed. Say she what? Said, <laughs> yeah. And then she said, no, I mean, if you want to study with Carol, who will be coming this fall, and all the raving and, and glowing reports you gave us as far as how she worked with the Oberlin uh, workshop, you are welcome to leave me. And that was so generous of her. It was wow. not looked upon very well that you switched studios. So with her good graces, and I said at the time, I said, I don't know, Marsha, I still feel like, you know, we have work to do. And she says, I've taught you everything I can teach you. You've picked my brains, go pick hers. <laughs> good on and her. I took her. She knew it was time to let you go. Time yes. to set you free. Yes. Yeah. So again, it, when Carol came in 92, I had one first lesson with her. I was almost, well, I just turned 40 and that's course the dead zone for competitions as a female singer. Okay. If you're going to, you know, you can't go past 40. I don't know how it is in Australia, okay. but it is here. Yeah. Menten, yeah. I think that's the industry pretty much. <laughs> yeah. For classical music. So I brought in all my big honking arias and, you know, these huge pieces for the first lesson. And I think we started with Come Scolio from uh, Cosi Fan Tutte. And Good Italian, halfway, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and so at the end of that lesson, she said, well, what do you think you do really well? And I don't know. I said, I think my breath is really strong. I you know my breathing mechanism or mechanics and management. And she said, okay. And nothing more was said. And then I walked out of there and I thought, this is not what I want to get from Carol. I want her to really take me apart and put me back together because I always felt like, don't bother me, I'm singing. There was a wall between mm. me and what I wanted my voice to go and send out there. It just felt very locked. So wow. you know what I did? Tossed away all the big honking arias, walked in with a simple little Italian art song. And the next lesson I came in and I said, Carol, take me apart and put me back together. I'm a silly putty in your hands. And she oh, smiled. Wow. She's, she said, let's get to work. Wow. And she let me with the good graces and approval and permission of all the other students. Now, she had everything from freshman, first year Eastman students to doctoral students. And she said, if you, you want to come in and sit in on lessons, as long as it's OK with them, you can do that. So I cleared my schedule. Now, I didn't have classes anymore and I would passed the doctoral exam. So it was basically writing that book. Mm -hmm. was on my to-do list to get that done. So I had a lot of free time 
away from writing the book. So I just, I was like a fly on the wall and I learned so much from yeah. sitting in her, yeah. her lessons. That's incredible. But this all happened at the, around the same time. It's like, again, the universe will present opportunities if you're open and listening. <laughs> well, it's interesting to go back to her comment when she said to you, the door is open because you had a choice then too. Yeah. Either yeah. you were going to go through that door or you were going to shut the door. <laughs> and I almost did. I almost, I mean, I was scared. It was like, mm -hmm. this was a safe place. You know, this yes. was Marsha. Yes. We knew each other. I knew how she worked. And I had doctoral recitals. One I had done, and I still had another, and also a lecture recital. So it was like right in the middle of wrapping up the performance part of my doctoral degree. And I just was like, I don't know. I don't know. But again, you listen to that inner voice yes. and that inner, inner knowing. And it was, yes, this is meant to be. And my God, made all the yeah. difference in the world. They say that your intuition is smarter than your brain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. And, and yeah. so many people don't listen to their gut feelings. And I know mm -hmm. for me, when I don't listen to what my gut and my intuition is telling me, that's when yes. things go wrong. So mm -hmm. I think, but it's also being aware of what we're being told. And I think going back to one of the things that you talked about earlier with meditation. Yes. I know meditation is something that is very misunderstood because yes. a lot of people think that it has uh, some sort of relationship to a religion or a spirituality or whatever it is. But meditation right. can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So oh, sure. for me, yeah. I discovered meditation two years ago and I won't share the whole story now, but I was in a little bit of trouble after finishing my PhD and I was suffering from anxiety. And then there was an incident that happened next door to me. It was a domestic violence incident. And mm. I had uh, post-traumatic stress. And I really needed to calm my mind. And I discovered meditation. And I can't say two years later that I'm very good at it. But when you were talking about all those thought processes and how the brain works, it makes sense that there, we have between 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day and yes. they don't go away overnight. And mm -hmm. when we wake in the morning, those thoughts are still there. For me, meditation means clearing out my filing cabinet from, right. and, and getting rid of all those <laughs> thoughts that I don't need to carry into the next day, into that new day, and just having time out. It's like giving my brain a little holiday for 10 or 15 minutes. And that's how mm -hmm. I look at meditation. It's just mm -hmm. being in the moment and not thinking about the day before or thinking about the day ahead, just having stillness in the mind. So right. what, what does meditation mean for you? Well, I actually teach meditation to my classes before we even begin. We'll call it, this is your mindful centering time. I won't yep. even call it meditation. Okay. Yes. And of course, right now I'm teaching all the classes are on Zoom. So my beginning voice class at Alfred University, I have 10 students. So, you know, they're all in their, their little blocks. And the first time I taught it, I could just, it was almost 
palpable. You could hear, feel them calm down because yeah. those, you know, university students, they're just on the go, they're on the go and there's so much stress and there's so much pressure, especially the beginning of a semester and all that. So I would just say, just take a minute. I'll keep the timer and let yourself just be, just be. You can focus on your breath if you need to, just how the breath's coming in and how it's going out and see if you could, you know, feel as though that's a gentle ocean wave. I have a little sort of hypnotic way of talking to them as they're doing it. I and would that's love how I to start be every in that class. I would <laughs> love to hear that hypnotic wave voice. <laughs> Can you give us a I, little demo, just a little one, just a sneak peek? Oh, sure, sure, sure. And this is the same way I taught the classes at, at Shenandoah, the body, mind, and music, or body, mind for musicians classes, is to have them start with that meditative moment. And the first day of that, they they hated it because they had their to-do list. And, you know, they were just, oh, my God, this is a waste of time. We're sitting here and I, I got I should be, you know, it's like, so I gave them a minute to focus on their breathing. And then they felt, oh, okay, this is not so bad. And you don't have to do more than a minute. I learned that from uh, taking a class with David G. He's a he teaches meditation for, I can't think of a famous, anyway, doesn't matter. He teaches meditation. And I was at a conference that he was teaching how to do these short meditations. He works mm -hmm. with police, police and military and people who have a lot of stress in their life. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can, I can, we can do a meditative minute I or think, a I centering moment. Let's, let's <laughs> do this. If you're up to it. I am. I, okay. I am. Okay. So I just have them settle in and feel the weight of their feet on the floor and their legs being nice and not uncomfortably heavy, but just very settled that their whole body is going to feel as though it's connecting to the earth's energy, which is highly energetic, the earth that we live on. So just take that moment and close your eyes and focus on your breath as the breath comes into your body no judgment just turning on the beginner's mind which is all uh, your concentration and your mind is empty of chatter and just turning on that beginner's mind being gentle with yourself allowing that breath to come in and your body will know what to do as it turns around and it goes back out and just find this beautiful cycle of air coming in, re-energizing your body, and then going back out again. And let that just be for a few time, a little time. And if you see or feel a thought come into your brain, just say, there's a thought and let it go. The monkey brain will want to kick in, just say to it, not now. I'll get back to you later. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes. No rush. And just come back. Do I have to? Into your space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised that sometimes oh. I think, I think some of them go to sleep because it's like 
Sam, Sam, I'm back, Sam. <laughs> I have to share this with you. Something happened then that happened to me earlier this morning when I, I decided I was going to meditate in bed and my husband was still in bed and he was facing me and it was like a hurricane blowing on my face when he was breathing. He's going to kill me for saying that. But my cat, my cat jumped up on the bed and was like doing this, trying to get me out of the meditation. <laughs> so I moved to the couch. So what does the cat do? Follows me to the couch and stands on my hair. And was, oh, yes. <laughs> while I'm trying to meditate, just then he's led himself in. And while I was in that meditative state, he's rubbing himself along my legs. So he clearly does not want me <laughs> to meditate today. That's three times I've been sabotaged by my cat. <laughs> well, they have their own agenda. <laughs> they, clearly, I'm and not usually, sure. usually it's centered around feed me. <laughs> no, he's being fed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So along your journey of life, there was a story that you shared with me and I'm not sure whether you're comfortable sharing it with our audience or not, where your life went into turmoil. It was turned upside down mm -hmm. and you had to rebuild your life again and that was a time that you had to really step up mm -hmm. all your self-care and put all those practices into place and they became even more important than ever to you yes would you like to talk about that experience without going into a lot of details I'm actually yeah. writing three books on the subject and that one's almost done and then there'll be the sequels so and, and there's nothing the to do with singing yeah. this is the preview so um just to put it briefly um my entire existence my life my daily being everything that I was assuming would be going on and on and on forever and very comfortable, got blown up completely, devastatingly. I was evicted from my home, my marriage, and everything that I had been doing for 10 years, as far as my musical work, my teaching work, directing musicals, you know, all of that. And I had to escape. I was targeted for assassination. How did you find that out, if you don't mind me asking? Well, where I lived was at 9,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains, and people who don't know enough about the mountains drive down roads and go off into the river and get killed. And when my brakes started failing as I was driving on that mountain road, and I, I knew that it wasn't something that I had done, and then I would be taking a nap and I could tell somebody was in the house with me, Oh they had God. no business to be in the house. Oh, oh it, was, it was like the universe was saying or God okay. was saying, whatever you want. Okay. Like, alert, alert, alert. Right. Get out. Get out. Well, and so I did with that, the help and, of my son. But, you know, good on you for doing that. You read those Ugh. signs and you did something about it because a lot of people don't and things don't end well. Just a quick little um, statistic I heard on the news here that in Queensland, which is a state that I live in, in Australia, there are 64 calls to emergency services that are in regards to domestic violence incidents, yep. 64 a day. And yet there are not the resources. The women have nowhere to go to. They're mostly women. But you did something about it. Well, you had that capacity and that obviously you had that 
foresight to go and do something and make change in your life. And that's why you're here today. It was terribly painful. And I was, I was willing to stick it out and say, I'm staying, you can't get rid of me that easily. But my son, who is a army major, retired on ready reserve or whatever, very smart guy. He's 39. Now I told him a little bit of what was going on. He said, mom, get out of there. Don't you understand? You're going to be the next statistic if you don't get out of there. And so uh, he found me in an apartment in Winchester. And the week before Christmas, I packed my cat and myself and a folding couch or a folding cot and a folding tape, not even a cot, a folding table and a folding chair and drove three, de- three days across the country from Colorado to Virginia. I was in a state of shock. I mean, I was just, I felt like I was in survival yep. mode. Yep. Yep. You wouldn't my, even my, remember my, that drive. No, no. And no. it was, it was, you know, it was not an easy drive. It's no. all across the United States, basically. Yes. But once I got to my apartment in Virginia, oh my God, it was, it was, I won't even go into the details. It was really, really hard and really sad. I was in an empty apartment with my cat and the chair and the, the um, table. I didn't even have a bed. I slept on the floor until I finally went out and bought an air mattress. So little by little, I just kind of went into a shell. I did have a therapist back in Colorado. Um, so we started doing Skype or Zoom kinds of therapies. And she also said that the statistics of how many women are murdered in yes. abusive marriage yep. relationships. So I got out and at first it was, I just, it was, I can't even remember how bad that time was. I just, I had no purpose. I had no, you know, I had no understanding of what just happened he filed for the doors the day I drove the time right after I drove out of the driveway I wasn't even out of our town he he went down and filed for divorce anyhow so eventually again the right people come into your life yeah. and I started my son sent me a friend who knew somebody who was my age that lived in Winchester she came in and just sort of swooped me up and said we're going to go out girl we're going to you can meet my friends I met Karen Keating at Winchester at uh, Shenandoah University because she was the choir director at the church I started going to and I started singing with the choir and she's the one that said to me Betsy we need somebody to come and teach these these courses at Shenandoah are you interested and all of a sudden Within the space of a year, I had a feeling of like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And then I was able to write, I had plenty of time. I did the second edition of those two books, which I probably would never have done. I didn't yeah. have, I wouldn't have had the opportunity in the time, but because 1970, sorry, 2017 was, I was teaching, but not that much. I had a lot of time to revise both singing with your old self and a spectrum of voices and update them. So that's not that long ago. So what no. we're talking about that happened to you is not that long ago. It was, I left Colorado December of 2014. And, you know, what a beautiful place, though, to escape to. Oh, to everybody, that's what, And that university yeah. is yes. just stunning. Yes. I mean, there's, yes. such a, there's such a sense of calm and serenity and tranquility. Yes. And everyone Again. there is like that yeah. as well. Yes. Again, it was like the right place at the right time for me to heal in a very nurturing place where I felt as though I belonged and also I could contribute. I didn't want to be a leech. So, yeah. Did you find 
that having that regime of self-care, mm-hmm. that that helped you through that process? If you didn't have that, how do you think you would have fared? I'd probably be a very bitter <laughs> yeah. divorcee who would not be very pleasant to be around. So what I did, Marissa, is I just sat down every single morning and I said, I need to just have a routine. When I get up in the morning, I don't want it to be not, you know, I'm sitting in this small apartment in a town. No, I don't know anyone. And I just, I got this whole horrible divorce, which went on for 13 months. It was a Kardashian divorce. They got themselves a shark lawyer who just reamed me, raked me over the coals. All I wanted to do is just get it over with and move on. So I would get up in the morning and Kitty and I would go and I would sit in, it was a very pretty living room or in this nicer weather out on the little, I was on the third floor. So I had a little balcony porch and I would sit there, have my coffee. And then I would actually do some meditation, get myself really focused and centered. And I just developed a morning, I call it my angel time <laughs> because I feel, as you can see in my background, up there, there's a whole lot of angels. Oh, you see them? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> They're that actually can. that's that, that's left from Christmas. But anyway, so I would really tune into higher consciousness, universe. I had some books that I was reading through. One was Wayne Dyer's The Tao Te Ching. That was tremendously. I made myself. I didn't make myself, but I said I am going to read a chapter a week. And there's like 82 chapters. So I said, a chapter a week, well, that'll take me through the first horrible year. And maybe by the time I get finished with the book, I'll be much more centered and grounded and have a happier life. And you know what? I did. Yeah. So that was really helpful. Yeah. So then let's talk about COVID. Let's address yeah. the let's address the elephant in the room, <laughs> so right. to speak. So mm-hmm. you were taking care of yourself, and uh, you were teaching online. You were doing all the things that you were supposed to be doing. You were isolating. Yes. You were wearing a mask outdoors. And oh yeah. Then what happened? Well, it was a shock because I was I, I live alone with a cat. Everybody in my family has been extremely vigilant and mindful. If anybody, like my brother and sister-in-law were here in town all summer, they have a summer home or winter home in Florida, so they're mm. gone. But if we were to get together, it was always outdoors, masks on, 12 feet apart, no problem with be conscientious. So I was doing all that and teaching online. There was a period of time where the, the university went to two weeks of in-person And as soon as one COVID case popped up on campus, I just said to the chair, I said, I'm not coming back to campus. I'm going to go home. I can teach online. I've been doing it for six years. I know, you know, I know it's effective and it works. And it did. So I didn't go out, except, of course, you have to go to the grocery store. And I was very super careful in our, you know, supermarket here. There's a mask mandate in New York State. Mm -hmm. You have to have a mask on. And, of course, there are people who try to disregard that. And they're very combative, but most people were kind and conscientious. So masking, hand sanitizer, the whole nine yards. However, I sprained my left knee power walking because I'd been taking yoga and spin classes, you know, the bikes at our local athletic center, and then everything shut down in March. And I did not want to lose the physical training and and toning I had been having the strength. Mm -hmm. So I started just power walking around my neighborhood five miles a day. 
Well, but not with the best. Way. Yeah, but not with the best shoes. And it's on hard pavement. Um, and I, so I ended up having a sprained knee. It just got hurting more and more and more. So I went to the urgent care and they checked it out. They said, yeah, you have a sprained knee. And they sent me to physical therapy which they were great. You know, they took your temperature when you came in, you had to answer all the questions. Have you been in, um, have you been near anybody? Do you have any of these symptoms? And they tried to keep clients distanced apart, but it wasn't that big a place. And there was just times when the other people, the other clients in there, they would have a mask on, but it wasn't very well fitted. Oh, okay. Or, you know, their nose was open. And I glared at them and I would say something to my trainer, like, can you tell them to put their mask up over their nose? But I really think that's where I got it because about a week, well, the first, the last week of October was when I started this feeling really, really exhausted mm-hmm. and the headache and just, I tried to, I said, I don't have COVID. I don't have COVID. I even told my students, I'm not feeling well today, but I don't have COVID. Yeah. And then finally, something told me, go get a test. So I went to, again, the urgent care here in town, uh, which is a hospital, and they did the nose swab. And two days later, it came back positive. I stared at that POS. I looked at it. It's like, no, no, that's a mistake. It's got to be a mistake. Yeah. Just total denial. How could I get this? Yeah. Yeah. So it was two weeks of exhaustion getting up in the morning. And then by 10 o'clock in the morning, I just had to go and lie down. I mean, I fell into bed and I was out cold until noon. And then I would get up and teach. I had to stop teaching the classes. I just couldn't handle, you know, 10 students. I could do one-on-one, but that it was the end of the semester. So it wasn't that debilitating. And by six o'clock at night, oh, and then I would take another nap in the afternoon. By six o'clock at night, I just wanted to go to bed. And I don't go to bed that early. Normally no. it's, you know, nine yeah. So I just, and then, and by six 30, it was like, okay, I'm going to bed. I slept 14 hours every night, which is not like me. That's a lot of, but, but my symptoms, the fatigue, the foggy brain that continues a little bit. It's just, you know, it's like your cognitive brain kind of, it's um, not firing all on all cylinders yeah. cylinders see yeah. and the wrong words come out of my mouth I was talking about the esophagus in my voice class the other day and it came out as eustachian <laughs> it's like wait a minute wait a minute it's got an e at the beginning I didn't mean that I didn't mean that weird 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 it's okay. like hey just- <laughs> that's okay we're all making allowances <laughs> yeah yeah so often I'll just say look I'm just having a COVID moment COVID brain moment just give me a minute so I never got the cough. I never got the chest. Thank God. Nothing with my respiratory system. It's been fine. However, when I finally was cleared for being over COVID, it was right before we were, we were putting together, my church was putting together videos of the services for Christmas, Advent and Christmas in particular. And the choir director organist asked me to come in socially distanced with our masks and sing like once in Royal David city, it came upon a midnight clear, the angel Gabriel, all these beautiful hymns that are not difficult after just one of them, like one verse. I sat down and I said, Oh my God, Mary, I can't do this. I'm exhausted. One verse of a, a simple hymn. So I said, can I come back next week and try again? I'll, I, in the meantime, and I didn't have any of my top 
usually have easy, free above the staff up into the upper register. High C still, even though I'm almost 70, I still got those notes. Yeah. I had to use all the technique I could muster just to get to the G5. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> and, and was there anything else you noticed had changed in your voice? as Resonance. Yeah. My resonance, it was not pingy. It was not free. It didn't have that nice, easy, bubbly, yeah. free sparkle. Yeah. It was like, it was like pulling teeth, as we say here in the United States, just to get me to that note to come out. Yeah. Now, in the meantime, I've gone back and I've watched the videos and I said, eh, it's not that bad, actually. It's better than yeah. I thought it was. <laughs> so do you think then that you were feeling what you were feeling was not the same and then therefore you were hearing it differently because you were so caught up in how it was feeling that you weren't that you thought the sound wasn't there it just felt like it was every ounce of effort and work that I had to go through you know calling up all the possible technique that I've learned over the you know over my training and teaching voice for 40 years yeah. It was very, very disturbing. So by this time, though, you were back doing everything else, like everything else felt normal, or were you still slightly unwell? No, it's never been the same. I still have what I would call stamina problems. Mm-hmm. Right around lunchtime, I had scheduled in, in my, my class schedule, works fine because there's class in the morning that's done before noon, and the other one is at 2.20 in the afternoon. And then I put in my private lessons around those. Last semester, I was teaching a lot through the noon hour into the early afternoon going right on to the 220 class. Well, I know now I don't have the stamina. I have to program, I have to schedule in an early lunch, a light early lunch and go down for an hour nap right around between 12 and one. Yeah. Or I can't get through the afternoon and my brain just does not fire. Mm-hmm. So that's a change. And I still have, as I said, COVID brain. Yeah. I don't know how long that's going to last. My I've voice heard, is okay. I, I've heard that's a thing. I've, I've heard. It is. Yeah. There are many people, it's called long haulers. Um, fortunately, I don't have the respiratory problem. There's a lot of people who just, their breathing is really compromised. Thank God that didn't happen to me. Do you think that didn't happen to you because you were so physically fit? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure my my just my physical training and my physical fitness and stubbornly saying I'm not going to let this thing get me (laughs) yeah yeah so do you feel that some people who are not as physically fit and don't have that mental capacity that kind of like succumb a little bit more to COVID I don't know if that's yeah. I don't think that's the case. I, I think oh. it's so random. We just don't know. This virus, I, as, I, as it was, you know, we were going through this whole past year, I said, it's like an alien life form. And every time you it think is. you got a handle on it and you think you know what it's going to do, it just goes like, <laughs> just wait till the next round. Yeah. You know, it's scary. Now we've got these very contagious strains that are, you know, um, highly, uh, highly, worrisome Mm, mm. so um so yeah I still have problems and you had heard about COVID way before it was in the media you already because of that son yes that my son that wonderful um he has a master's in 
International Studies and Public Policy from Syracuse University, which is highly regarded for that kind of field. And he had done his master's thesis on a global pandemic. The name of it was, Will We Be Ready? And so way back in the fall, when there was these stories coming out of China, and also it was already here in my town, people who just thought they got a bad cough or a bad cold or a bad flu, now look back and say, oh my God, I bet that was COVID because it fit, it checks all the boxes. And our town, the major industry here is um, Alstom, which refurbishes subway cars. So they're coming up from the big cities and it's a French company. So there's a, a group of French um, managers that come in from Paris who work here for a time and then they're sending other people to be trained in, in uh, France. So there's a very active um, going back and forth between France and this little tiny town in the middle of nowhere in, went in Western New York state. Yeah. So, but my, my son called me way back. Everybody was saying, Oh, Matt, you're just exact. You know, you're just like calling wolf. So he called me and he said, mom, buy masks, go to the store and buy as many boxes of masks as you can get your hands on. He's in, New, he's in the DC area. He mm -hmm. said, we can't find them because they already knew too. He wow. said, I've been to all the stores everywhere around here. They don't have any masks. They've all been bought up. So I did, I went to the local drugstore pharmacy and I, 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 they weren't, you know, there were like six boxes. I left two because I didn't want to be greedy. <laughs> so I bought, um, you know, four, sent two down to him and his wife and a small one for my granddaughter. And then I sent one to my other son in Rochester and I kept one for myself. I still have that box of masks in my really? car. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Well, in the meantime, you know, people not now, you know, everybody's getting there's masks that are being produced and there's yeah people around who are stepped up and made masks They've for made their the locals. Yes. But I'm I, when I went to the our post office and I, I said, I'm sending masks to my son down in D.C. for this COVID. Well, it wasn't even called COVID for this, um, this new virus. Yeah. Yeah. And they looked and said, oh, yeah, we've heard something about that. It was like so blase. Oh, my goodness. Well, didn't the world change? It, so, it yes. certainly has. And I say it's brought out the best and the worst in everybody. You know, mm -hmm. and everyone's handled it so differently. Some people have like thrown in the towel and consumed uh, social media and watched Netflix. And whereas other people, they've just spent the time to reset their lives and to recalibrate and check in and, and made the yeah. most of the time. That's exactly what I decided to do. In fact, when we did the shutdown and it was a ghost town, downtown, nothing was open. Of course, you could go and, you know, the, the local grocery store, you had to get food, but I bought enough food to put in my freezer and I didn't have to go back there. I, I just had a plan that I was mm -hmm. going to be self-sufficient yes. for the worst of it. And that's when I decided, okay, I can't go to my yoga class at the, you know, the gym, but I can do yoga for myself. I knew the routines. I can't go do the spin class, but I can certainly power walk. So I replaced those. I think I took it as a like a blessing in disguise. Mm. That's when I started writing more on the new book that's yes. about three quarters done now. And I hadn't started teaching at Alfred yet. 
And I said to the uh, Shenandoah, you know, I know you're all going to go for the spring. It was, no, it was fall. No, midway spring. That's right. March of last spring, everything shut down. And all of a sudden, everyone's thrown into this online teaching. And it was just, oh, my Lord, it was chaos. So I contacted um, Shenandoah and I said, you know, I teach online. I've been teaching online for six years because my private studio when I left Colorado. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they came with me. And in the meantime, I picked up new. Um, I said, I'll be there if you need me. And they said, thanks. But they figured it out. Yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't going to let, let it get me down. So in wrapping this up, mm-hmm. I have some questions I'd like to ask you, like, sort of shortish questions so sure. if, you, if you had to give our voice community our singing voice community some advice about self-care what is the greatest gift that they could give to themselves in terms of self-care I guess I would say calm down first of all as you said you know there's so many thoughts going on in our brain and along that line 85 percent of the stuff we wor- worry about never happens. Yeah. 85%. And I know people are worried, worried, worried. 97% weren't even worth worrying about. Exactly. So a perspective, step back, take a breath, do a little minute meditation to calm yourself down. Just be for a moment and allow yourself to really look at the big picture. Yeah. Great advice. Gratitude. That's a huge word. Gratitude. Find everything to be grateful for rather than railing against what's out of control or what's out of your control. Gratitude. That's so true because that can make such a big shift to your mindset because we tend to focus on everything that goes wrong, but we don't stop to think about all the things that are right and all the people that we have around us that, that, that are actual blessings in our lives. Yep. So if you had to recommend a book that everyone mm. should go and read, what would that book be? Just one? <laughs> okay, maybe two. <laughs> it depends on what their interest is. I'm well, reading right now. I'm, I, I, self-care. Let's keep it on self-care okay. or changing mindset. There's a lovely little book. You can get it on Amazon. It sounds very woo-woo, woogie-woogie. It's called easy world. And the premise is, I choose to live an easy world where everything is easy. That sounds like my kind of book. Like for me, I have this thing that I like everything calm. I like everything easy. I'm not a big fan of chaos. And I don't understand people that love to have chaos around them and are looking for chaos all the time. So I think this kind of book sounds uh, really cool. Well, here's the book, Choosing Easy World. I don't know if the light's glaring too much. Mm-hmm. It's by Julia Rogers Hamrick. And yeah. she actually has a website that you can go and visit. I think she might even do sort of daily uh, meditations or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. But it's just a lovely little book. Very, it says, don't be fooled by this book's simplicity. Therein lies the power and magic. Choosing Easy World is transformational. It's an invitation to a new paradigm for living. A guide to opting out of struggle and strife and living in the amazing realm where everything is easy. And it works. I like that. I like <laughs> it that. It really, yes. 
And then the other one, since I was grabbing books, this is the book. This is one along with Wayne Dyer's, the Tao Te Ching interpretations. I can't remember the name of that right now, but this is um, for women. It's aimed for women. I'm yeah. sure guys could like it too, but I love this book, uh, Simple Abundance. And it's a daily, there are daily essays, I guess you would call them, mm-hmm. or da- you know, daily um, readings. This is the newest edition. I have the original edition, which talk about luck and the, the universe. I picked it up in a, I don't know, do you have thrift shops in yes. Australia? Yes. Okay. I picked it up in Colorado in a thrift shop. It just called to me. It was 1995, the original edition when she first wrote the book. And I, that book, it really, while I was in that empty apartment by myself, you know, mopping up my tears and trying to figure out where my life just crashed and burned. Um, that's the book that really, really helped me get through that first year. So I just bought her newest edition, which is 2010, I think it is. Yeah. There's new essays. There's a lot of repeated ones, but this is a lovely, lovely book. Okay. I've um, written that one down. So who was the author? It's Sarah Van Brethnick. There's her name. Okay. I think if I put Sarah Ban, it will come up. The other one, (laughs) if you just put simple abundance, she's, she's become quite famous. She's got, you know, all kinds of websites and she's written a number of books, um, three, 365 days to a balanced and joyful life. Mm -hmm. So those are the two books that I would recommend to anyone. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to go and get those books. Uh, So what is the greatest lesson that you've learned over the past year with this as a result of the pandemic what my mother always said this too shall pass oh I think that would give a lot of people a lot of comfort Mm -hmm. if they actually truly believed that that would they're very comforting words yes what is the greatest thing that you've learned about yourself over the past year and actually, we need to make that over the past, say, six years. Oh. Because you um, have been through a lot. Yes. You've got to put yourself first. I know that sounds really selfish, but in that marriage, I did not put myself first. I did everything for him. I adored him. I just idolized him. Um, I basically canned my career. At first, we lived up in the middle of nowhere and I'm up on roofs, which I'm scared of roofs. I'm scared of heights, but I was up there helping him fix roofs. Just, you know, a handyman's wife, uh, fetching tools and holding the drywall while he nailed it in and things like that. Yeah. And I gave up myself. I gave up myself and I didn't even realize it. I thought I was just being a good wife Yeah. and showing him how much I loved him and how I was there for him. And it didn't matter. So I have learned you've got to not, I mean, you, you know, put yourself first. As I said to you earlier, um, the famous Shakespeare quote from Hamlet, which Polonius says to his son Laertes, and he's giving him all this advice. No, by the way, oh, and by, before you go, and oh, by the way. And the last one is to thine own self be true. Yeah. I think just knowing you and the interactions that we've had, I would describe you as very um or extremely resilient oh thank you <laughs> I mean that's anyone, good to know no but I, I mean <laughs> other than that I there's lots of other beautiful adjectives that I could use but you truly are um resilient 
Yes, I would say so. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel resilient there for a while. I, I felt like I was shattered. You know, I was about ready to just fracture in a million pieces. But because people helped me out, my family was wonderful. Friends came to my rescue. Everybody just was uh, in so many ways keeping me from drowning. So what do you have on next? Uh, is there a, a book that's in publication that is going to be launched soon? Interestingly, it's got a publisher. This is the book that I have to um, finish and I can't mm-hmm. do it while I'm teaching. There's just no time. It's yeah. called a, Ch- a Change of Heart, The Dark Side of Cardiopulmonary Lung, well, Cardiopulmonary Surgery. And how did that come about? <laughs> well, that, that former husband had a quadruple bypass surgery and his personality and he changed. And okay. I've been researching it and okay. I've been doing, I have um, a number of interviews already in the can that are in the book where it's the same. In fact, I just got an email from a woman who said, I saw you were writing this book and I was really interested. Is it published yet? If it is, how do I get a hold of it? She said, and, and she signed her name and in parentheses she says, whose husband also has had a personality change after, surgery, after uh, cardiopulmonary surgery. That's incredible. Yes. Who would yeah. think these things? How do you know? How do you know? Like, and that's just expected. We didn't know that it was an emergency. He he would have dropped dead. He was taken in the hospital, and the next thing they're saying he's not going home. He's set up for open heart surgery um, day after tomorrow, and you're you don't even have time to think. You don't even have time to, except to just react and you know sort of go into survival mode. And it was. Um, it was, you know, dire. And I did not see the change until um, probably six or so months later that that I started to realize, yeah, well, he was recuperating, you know, he he was just fiercely trying to get himself well again. And that was taking up all our time and all our attention. And then um, after that, that's when things really started going downhill. So there's actually... In Australia, there's a filmmaker that I connected to. His name is Andrew. I don't remember his last name, but he's, he produces documentaries. Mm. It's called Pump Head. Pump Head. Right. For the, card, you know, the pump that keeps you alive. Because what they do is they literally take the heart out of the chest, mm. put it into uh, dry ice and chemicals so it doesn't deteriorate while they're working on it. So you are clinically dead and this pump keeps you alive it circulates the bread the bread see there's a little covid brain right there it circulates the blood and keeps the body alive while they're doing six seven hours of surgery so look up pump head and you'll see um last time i communicated with him was in the fall and he was in pre-production i think he had gotten all the and it's um it's all it's australia australian cardiologists and so so yeah Okay. So that's, 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 the that's book. amazing. That's um, amazing. I got to get it done because people are so interested and there's yeah. so many stories out there. Yeah. Half, half of the, half of the uh, cardiopulmonary uh, surgeries. Um, well, I won't go into it at 50%. There are repercussions. You don't just come out and resume your life, you know, heal up and resume your life. It's mm-hmm. devastating to a lot of people. Mm. So okay. that's the first of three. Okay. 
And are we allowed to know what the other two are? Oh yeah. Well, I gotta get. I gotta. No, I'm done with singing. (laughs) That's my job, but I'm not going to write about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I already did. (laughs) Yeah, you have. You have. Um, So the second one is contribution. Right. (laughs) The second one is um, tentatively called um, the cup of strength, and it comes from a prayer that's in the Episcopal Church bi-monthly or monthly bi-monthly whatever it is um newsletter and it's helped me be the cup of strength to suffering souls and so that book will actually tell my story in all the gory details it will tell everything that happened to me and how I as you've been talking about got myself out of that that state and moved on and I just want to be able to offer help and succor to those who are finding themselves in their own devastated place. It sounds to me that everything that's happened to you through your life has brought you to where you are now. And interestingly enough, you're now mm-hmm. living in, is it your grandmother, your grandparents' home? My grandparents built this house in 1925. It's the house my dad and his brother grew up in. Yeah. And then after World War II, um, they all came, my grandfather had died because he was gassed in World War I in the trenches of Verdun. And so he had passed away and the company that he had started, which was a road construction company, had gone just completely fallow during World War II. So my dad and his bride, pregnant with my sister, and my uncle and his bride, pregnant with my cousin, all came to live with our grandmother together in this house. That lasted six months. I was going to say, with all those raging hormones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was not a happy place. So um, apparently my grandmother, bought, she bought a house uh, on just about a block away in town. My, grand, my uncle and aunt bought one in the up, like what we call North Hornell, another section yeah. of town. And so mom and dad was like, okay, I guess we have a house. <laughs> so we were brought up here. And it was the family home for 60 years. Yeah. And then um, it went out of the family for about 10 years. And I was devastated. I, I just, I never wanted that to happen. But um, none of us were in a position to, to buy the house. Hmm. So um, it went, it, it had a couple of owners. And then not to get into too much more. No. Um, it was back on the market in 2018. It had been on the market for a couple of years. Um, it had gone through um, a massive ice uh, pipes breaking in the winter time, so there was ice everywhere, and the house was really, really damaged um, because that owner walked away and turned off the heat, turned off the gas, but he didn't turn off the water. Oh! And four months later, when the neighbors started to see rivulets of water coming out from underneath the doors of the house, they said, "Hmm, something's wrong over there." So they could be right. (laughs) Yeah. So again, just I, it's another whole story I won't get into, but the opportunity came where it was on the market again. I came um, up from Virginia, went around with my sister and brother, brother and sister-in-law. And they're saying, that's your nuts. You're just, you got a beautiful house in Virginia. Why do you want this big, huge, you know, monstrosity back? I said, because it's family. So I bought the house. I I had to finish up um, when you met me at Shenandoah, I had to finish up the semester and I gave them notice that I was moving back to New York state 
And I moved in the summer of 2019, and I've been here ever since. Oh, see, so life has brought you full circle. Yes. And, and all those experiences have led you to all this writing, to all these things that you amazing things and these wonderful contributions that you've made to our well, thank community you. and and to others as you continue writing and and I'm sure that your books are going to help others as well. I hope so. I feel yeah. um I have I have enough time left in my life to make a difference as best I can for other yeah. people. Yeah. So well, I wish you all the very best with with all your future endeavors and I'm sure we're going to connect uh as we do. We have been we've been good at um, staying in touch and, and yes. I look forward to catching up with, again with you and hearing about what you're up to. And thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners are going to love listening to all your stories. And, yeah, and I hope that um, people will take something away from this, all of this and, and start implementing some kind of self-care in their lives. Right, right. Yeah. You have to take care of yourself. It's uh, you are the only one who really will. Exactly. Well, I wish so, you all the thank best you. and I hope you stay well. I hope you get yes. over this, this COVID shot. It's, it's like a little like, hi, I haven't gone away too far. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm sure it's just temporary. Okay. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so thank much. you. Stay well. Okay. Bye, Elizabeth. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye Melissa. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Voice and Beyond. Now is an important time for all of us to spread positivity and empowerment in our Singing Voice community. It's time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up for your students feeling energized, empowered and ready to deliver your best. Be the best role model and mentor you can possibly be and watch your students thrive as you do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague who you think will be inspired by this. Copy and paste the link and share it with the people you think will enjoy listening to this show. Please share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. If you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now. I would love to know what it is you enjoyed the most about this episode and what was the biggest takeaway for you. I promise you there are many episodes to follow as I'm committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one. I'd like to finish up with my final thoughts. Remember that to sing is more than just learning how to use a voice. As singers, our whole body is the instrument and our bodies echo what we feel physically, mentally and emotionally. So singing is not just about the voice. It's about a voice and beyond. Please take care of yourself and I look forward to your company next time.